morning. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that your word is true. I thank you, God, that your message that was written so many years ago is still relevant for us today. And I pray today as we go into your word, God, that you'd speak clearly to us. Lord, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to comprehend what you have for us, God. We just ask you to have your way today. In this place, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so not this weekend, but last weekend, I was at a retreat for pastors, wives, and lady ministers. And it was funny because I was hearing this awesome sermon that was for us, and in the midst of it, God gave me a sermon for all of you. Yay! So it was like two things were happening. And I was texting uh, Pastor Jared, and I was like, do you want me to preach this Sunday? And he's like, he was like, no. And I was, he's like, do you have a word? I was like, I do, but it doesn't have to be now. And so as I was really soaking in, um, but the gal who was, who was ministering that day was for us. God was speaking to me a word for everyone here, and I, I hope you're challenged and encouraged by today. The title of my sermon is called From the Pit to the Palace, if you're taking notes. And um, we're going to be taking a look at some different things. I have a video to show, if we could pop that up quick. So how many of you have been there playing Mario? Yeah? Right? You get stuck, and you can't go anywhere, and it's like, what are we supposed to do? And you just have to wait for what? The time to run out, right? And as I was prepping for this message today, Mario seemed like the perfect modern illustration for it. Because just like in Mario Brothers, we're kind of going along, and sometimes we're taken into things that seem like a pit, but end up being the next world. And other times we fall into situations like this and we just can't get ourselves out. All right. God's plan for us doesn't always look like we think it should. And we're going to see that clearly today in the life of Joseph. How many of you guys know the story of Joseph? All right. And if for those of you who are on my coming on Thursday nights, we have Bible study Thursday nights. We're going through Genesis. Um, We're going to skip ahead a little bit to some of what we're doing. We just finished Noah. We're getting ready to get close to jumping into Abraham pretty soon. So if you are available Thursday night, 630, we meet downstairs. It's a great time. We're going through verse by verse through Genesis. Um, And some of us have heard the stories in Sunday school, but we've never actually done that. So I really encourage you to come because even for those of us that know the stories, there's there's depths and there's richness and things that we just we need to hear. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 37, we here come to the account of the story of Joseph. Now, to give you a little backstory about Joseph, Joseph was born into kind of an interesting family. Um, his father was married to sisters. How many of you think that sounds like a great situation? And he was the result of an absolute baby war that took place between these sisters. Two sisters married to one husband fighting over his affection and who could produce the most kids for him. It got so complicated that they got their maidservants involved, and so it was two sisters and their concubines, and their maidservants who became his concubines, all who could have the most babies. And because there was a deep, deep rivalry between the sisters, it passed down to the kids. And in particular, Joseph, who was the son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, um, he was the favorite son. How many of you are your parents' favorite kids? Raise your hand. Be honest. Favorite kids, right? My kids are all raising their hands. Okay, it it happens in some families, right, that there's a favorite child. So taking a look at Genesis chapter 37, starting with verse 1, it says, So Jacob settled in the land of Canaan, where his father lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. 
So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Imagine that. You have all these brothers, and they can't even say a kind word to you because the jealousy is so thick. Can you imagine that? It's just awful. And Joseph was favored. And I need a volunteer to help me tell the story of Joseph. Who can help me? Okay, Silas, come up here. Can you put this on for me, please? Joseph, gave, Joseph was given a special gift. Some say a special robe. Some translations say a coat of many colors, like that Dolly Parton song we like to listen to in the car. Um, and uh, it would have been very expensive because to make the different dyes and the different colors, it would have been very costly to do so. And so it would have been a very expensive gift for a young man. And it says in the scriptures, one night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in a field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? You actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because his dream and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his, bro- he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and even the stars bowed low before me. This time he told his dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is this? He said, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. And so we have this young man, Joseph. He's the favored son of his family. And he starts having these dreams that he knew were from God about his future. And then he was, you know, the kid who told everybody about it. And so he made his jealous brothers even more jealous. And what's significant about this is that, you know, there was a purpose and a plan for Joseph's life. And in us, we, there's a purpose and a plan for our life. We come and we, we step into the realm of faith and we receive Christ into our lives. We begin this journey of purpose. And God begins to kind of birth in us dreams and plans for us and the things that he desires of us. And some of them are clearly outlined in scripture that we are to share the gospel. We're supposed to do these things. But others are more specific just to us and what we're able to do. And so Joseph was given these glimmers of things that were to come. And what's amazing is that, you know, you think about this young man who's a shepherd who works in an agricultural situation, and he's having these visions of his family bowing down to him. How crazy is that? It's a very lofty goal for someone in his situation. Even the most favored son, it's a lofty goal. And it goes on to tell us that, we're going to skip ahead, that one day Joseph was sent to go and check on his brothers because in addition to being the favorite son, his father used him to check up on his brothers. I mean, this is just a terrible situation, isn't it? Like, it's just awful. Like, it's just awful. And it says in verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him at the distance. Why did they recognize him? Because he's got like a neon coat on. You can see him coming from miles away, right? He approached and they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer. They said, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Imagine the hatred and the jealousy that was rooted in these young men, that they wanted to kill their brother. But Reuben heard of the scheme. He came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So one of them had sons. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. I need another volunteer. Okay, 
So I just want you to stand up. Okay, so you guys are officially the brothers. And I need you to pull the coat off of, of Joseph here. Pull it off of him. Pull it off of him. Pull it off of him. Pull it off. Pull it off. Pull it off. Pull it off. Okay, pull it off. And now I need you to jump into the hole in the ground. Can you jump and sit down there? Perfect. Stay there. Awesome. You guys did great. Okay. Just stay there. Okay. Just stay there. Don't go. Okay. All right. So they ripped the beautiful robe he was wearing, and then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. They were just, then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward him. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Who wants to be my Ishmaelite traders? I need some Ishmaelites. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So the Ishmaelites, who were Midian traders, came by Joseph. Joseph's brothers pulled them out of the cistern. So pull them out of the cistern. And they sold them for 20 pieces of silver. Okay, so give them to the Ishmaelite traders. Okay. All right. And wave goodbye to Joseph. Now, Joseph, leave with the traders. Go on. Take them. Go ahead. You guys can walk and take them out of here. Wave goodbye to your brother. Say, see you later, loser. Bye. Okay. All right. Give a big hand for volunteering. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. Go ahead. And, all right. Take a seat. Thank you, guys. They sold him into slavery. They went from murder to selling him into slavery. So they sold him into slavery. And it says that the Ishmaelite traders took him to Egypt. And here's the crazy thing. God's purposes in our lives. You know, we, we have these giftings, we have these abilities, we have these things that God has breathed into us. And some of you are saying we do, and, you, and God will share those things with you if you ask him. And we come at it from our human perspective, like, yeah, God, I can do these things. This is going to be awesome. And we are like Joseph in that robe, full of potential, full of excitement, full of whatever. And God looks at that. And one of the first things God wants to do is rip that robe off of us. And why does God do that? Because the scriptures tell us that it's not in our ability, it's not in who we are, it's in who God is, that he is glorified and is able to do his purposes. And so this process of faith, this process of following God's plan, involves God literally stripping away everything we take pride in, everything we glory in, and reducing us like Joseph laying at the bottom of a cistern, broken and helpless. And he takes us to these places for his purposes. And it's interesting because the scriptures, look at this, it says God's plan for Joseph involved pits. That was God's plan. It wasn't some accidental thing that happened. It wasn't something that his brothers just came up with because it says that he sold into Egypt. And in Egypt, he sold to the house of Potiphar. And it says in the scriptures, let me get there, that in Genesis 39, verses 1 through 6, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That's a very high-ranking position. He wasn't just sold to some Joe Schmo to scrub his floors. He was sold to a high-ranking position, high-ranking official's home. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. As he served the home of the Egyptian master, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so soon he made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. 
From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owed. With Joseph, there was nothing he didn't worry about except what kind of food to eat. So Joseph is put in this position And this first transformative process that happened took him from this arrogant, favored son to this faithful, trustworthy servant. And we see God's hand in it, that as Joseph served, because he could have rebelled, he could have fought, he could have done anything to rebel against his new masters, but he didn't. He didn't run away from the Ishmaelites. He didn't run away from Potiphar's house. And God gave him favor and success, and God takes us to places to teach us to serve and to break away these things in our lives that raise up against him. And it's interesting because this wasn't the end of Joseph saying, yes, he's the head of the house. He's given this place of authority. But it says also that Joseph was very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. She wanted him to be her new boyfriend. (laughs) And Joseph refused. Now listen to this. Look, he said, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. In the midst of his slavery, his heart is still for the Lord. And some of us are in positions today where it feels like we're in some kind of slavery, where we feel this depth, this desire to step into God's purposes and things that God has put in our hearts And it's easy in those places to become bitter. It's easy in those places to become frustrated. It's easy in those places to question what God has for us. But like Joseph, we need to have our heart fixed and steady on the things of God, that when God starts to strip away these things and starts to break us and take us through these pits and these places, that we hold fast to the truth that we know of who God is and what God wants to do in our lives, and we don't rebel against the things of God. And say, well, this is hard, so I'm just going to do this thing because who cares? But we hold tight to the things of God. And it says that this situation with Joseph got so bad that she sent all the other servants away, and she literally tried to attack him one day. And it says that he ran from the house, but he ran so fast, she grabbed onto his cloak. He ran out in his underwear, trying to get away from this woman. Some of us need to hear that today. That our obedience to God should be so steadfast that even if it means we're running out of the house in our underwear, we do it. And this situation did not go well for Joseph because when she saw she was holding his cloak, he fled. She called out to the servants and she accused Joseph of trying to attack her. And Potter was furious when he heard his wife's story about Joseph had treated her, so he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were and he remained. So he went from favored son to the bottom of a cistern, stripped of his beautiful robe his father had given him, stripped of all of his pride and his honor in his home, sold into slavery, elevated from just a slave to the highest slave in the house, and once again, stripped of his robe, and in the bottom of a pit, because that's often what the prisons were like. Why would God do this? How many of us have asked God that question? Why would God do this? Why would God bring us through this? And it says that he was with the king's prisoners. And that 
The Lord was again with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. That in the midst of that dark and miserable prison, with all the rats and nastiness, that God's love was revealed to Joseph. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Once again in captivity, once again in a horrible situation, once again stripped of any, any worth, of value by worldly terms. And God's favor is with him as he obeys God. God takes us to these places of brokenness. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Let's go there quick. We're going to jump to the New Testament in a minute. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living in a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do not be copy the behavior or customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. By the world's standards, Joseph was done. By God's standards, Joseph was in process. And in our lives, God will take us through this process if we surrender wholly to him of transformation. And it may look like Joseph at the bottom of a pit. But that pit is that place, that crucible of transformation, those times that we struggle, those times that we are in seeming servitude to things that we do not want, jobs we don't want, family situations we don't want, health crises we may be in the midst of that we do not understand. Maybe seasons that God is walking us through to make us into what he wants us to be. Because the reality is, when we receive Christ, yes, we begin this transformation process. We are made new in God's eyes. But there is so much stuff that gets in the way of God flowing through us. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. And God wants to strip that away. And in order for that to happen, humans need to be put in situations where they are tested and tried and broken. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. We are his masterpiece. And if any of you have created or worked in things, we were, this, the weekend I was up at the retreat, we did board painting. How many of you guys have done that, like the farm board painting thing? You have to stand the wood and finish it and do all that stuff. And you take this, you know, some people look at a tree and they think it's nice. Other people look at a tree and think of what they can make it into. I have a neighbor who's like that that he'll take a stick, and he looks at the stick, and he thinks about what he can carve and polish it into, and he makes these beautiful wood walking sticks out of it. And that's how it is with God, that he looks at us, and we are in process. We are his masterpiece. We are something that God is in process of working in us on. And we are to surrender to that process so God can do it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 say, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. God wants us to throw off that old nature. He wants us to throw off those things. He wants us to let him strip us 
Like he stripped Joseph of all those things that were held up against his perfect will for us. So Joseph goes on, and while he's in prison, he has the opportunity to interpret dreams for some people that used to work for Pharaoh. And those dreams came true. And he asked one of those men to remember him when he was, again, working for Pharaoh. And two years later, the guy actually did. But all this while, Joseph stayed faithful. All this while, Joseph embraced the truth of who God was and what God wanted from all this while, Joseph did not become bitter and resist, but continued to work and be faithful to the Lord in his pit. And one night, Pharaoh had a dream. And that man remembered, and Joseph found himself standing before Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. And God brought him out of that pit, the scripture tells us, And if we take a look at Genesis chapter 41, it says, starting with verse um, 37, Joseph's suggestions were received because Joseph interpreted these dreams to mean, and I'm skipping ahead because there's a lot, and you guys, you got to read the story. If you don't know the story and you haven't read it, you got to read it. And if not, join us in a few weeks. We're going to do it on Thursdays. It's going to be awesome. That there was a famine coming to Egypt, and these dreams were a warning to get ready And so Joseph interpreted those dreams and explained what needed to be done to fix it. And so Joseph's suggestions were well-received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? This idol-worshiping Pharaoh saw God in Joseph. If that isn't God, I don't know what is. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. He was pulled from prison to second in command of all of Egypt. And Egypt, my friends, was at its height. It was climbing to its crescent in history. God pulled him from that pit to the palace because he stayed true and he allowed God to do that work. Every place he was given, he was transformed. His thoughts were transformed. His way of doing things were performed. His reliance on God was assured. When we have everything taken away and we have nothing else, God is our only hope. And often God puts us in those situations so that we can see this. Now, the story goes on, and Joseph works, and he helps save the nation of Egypt and later reconciles with his family. I'm not going to jump into that part because I want you to see this picture of where God took him. So those pits were part of God's plans, but however, God's plan for us may involve pits. But often we walk into pits on our own we were never meant for. But we dig these pits for ourselves. And Proverbs, Proverbs, Chapter 26, verse 27 tells us, and you're, I'm reading out of the New Living. Yours might say it's slightly different. I have it written down two different ways here. Tells us, if you set a trap for others, you will get caught in it yourself. If you roll a boulder down for on others, it will crush you instead. Another version says, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. So often in our lives, we find ourselves in a situation we are literally digging pits, for ourselves or for others. And we, we find these pits in places by hanging out with people we shouldn't spend time with, by doing things we shouldn't, by allowing things like unforgiveness and bitterness to grow inside us. One of the greatest obstacles to God is unforgiveness. The scriptures take a very hard stance, and it tells us that if we do not forgive, God will not forgive us. 
That's, that's just point blank. Because those things take such a root. And it's like a gaping hole inside us that nothing can fill, that nothing can control. And we fall into these places. Some of us keep finding ourselves in the same situations over and over and over again. The same struggles, the same problems, the same things. And it's because so much of our life is spent with a shovel digging those holes for ourselves. And we do this by not obeying God, by not surrendering to God's will, by not fulfilling the things that God has for us, by not allowing the disciplines that God wants for us to be there. We make so many excuses, especially when we go through times of suffering or struggle. Oh, I've had a hard day. I'm entitled to this. Oh, this isn't going right. It's okay. Oh, I'm angry. It's okay if I say this. It's okay if I do this. We make excuse after excuse after excuse for our behavior until we've dug ourselves in this deep hole of sin and shame and unforgiveness and bitterness. And then we complain to God about the hole and say, God's just taking me through a trial. This must be just part of God's plan. When it wasn't God's plan and God's going, you had the shovel, you dug the hole. This isn't my hole. My hole's over here. That's the one I want you in. This is not the hole I want you in. We're like Mario falling down a hole, burning in the fire, rather than falling down the hole and landing in the new world to go save the princess, right? And God wants us to put the shovel down and to embrace a life of transformation God's plan for us involves a palace, a place of destiny for us that we are meant to be at, that perfect plan. And through our lives, you're going to go through different places like this as we walk with God. You often see this, that there are different stages and points in our lives where God takes us through a season of brokenness for some purpose. And we've gone through this cycle over and over again in our lives. Pastor Jared can tell stories and I can tell stories of things that God has brought us through to make us better at the things that God needed us to do. And when you're in the midst of it, you don't see it. You just see the suffering. You just say, God, why is this happening? Why are we going through this? Why is this continually going on? Why does it seem like we're always running into these same walls, like we're walking around in a pit, and it's because we haven't learned what God wants us to learn? We haven't allowed that transformation to happen that needs to happen. Psalms chapter 17, verse 15. Ultimately, God's goal is to get us to be with him. That in this life, the ultimate final transformation is to be with the Lord. You know, Jesus told his disciples in John 14 that, you know, in my father's house, there are many mansions. There are places prepared for us if we walk and we are faithful And we serve the Lord and we embrace him that, yes, one day we may be in an actual palace. The scriptures tell us, though, in Psalm chapter 17, it's a prayer of David, and I love this, and this is one of my favorite psalms. It says, because I'm righteous, righteous, I will see you when I wake. I will see your face and your face and be satisfied. Another translation says, well, I I will lay down in righteousness and I will not be satisfied until I awake in your likeness. That our desire... As believers, and David is reported to be the man after God's own heart, is to be so consumed with our desire to please and to know God that God would be our goal, that God would be our ultimate purpose, that being in the presence of the living God and face-to-face with God should be our desire, that our love for God should consume our life 
It shouldn't just be something that's kind of part of us, but it should be who we are. You know, I love that skeleton bone song. Let your blood be in our body. Let your wind be in our lungs. Let us be so consumed and transformed by God that you flow through us and are in us and all we desire. And I say to you today, if that's not where you're at with the Lord, it's time to ask why. It's time to ask why. If you're finding yourself in self-made pits, it's time to ask God to help you get out of them and stay out of them, to take that shovel and fill them in and stomp them over and cement the thing so you can't get back in again. You know, if we had hidden wells in our yard with kids and they fell in, it would be awful. And that's how God feels about us, wandering around, falling in holes. And we need to embrace this process of transformation, this painful, broken process where God strips away the things that we think are important because so much of what we value does not matter. So much of what we put importance on does not matter. When we get a hold of God's perspective, when we see as God sees, when our heart is like God's, the things that the world values, the things that we think are important, look like nothing. That's why people in the scriptures who've encountered God, they say, I am undone when they come into God's presence. Because they realize that the things that they thought, the things that they believed were so important, are nothing in the presence and the glory of God. Because they went through a process, and they surrendered to God, and they let God transform them from the inside out to see and to feel and to embrace these things. You know, we talk about stories of people doing great things for God. It's because they went through the process. And there are so many names of people who obeyed. There's so many names of people that were faithful that we do not know because they, because they weren't famous. Because they simply were a praying mother at home who faithfully got up and got on her knees and went before God because that's what God called her to do. Because they faithfully went to their work every day and they prayed for the people they worked with to receive Christ and God began to open doors for them to share their faith and to live out the gospel in front of them. These things that God calls us to, they may at times be lofty big things that transform the world and make the news, but so often it is simply being faithful to what God has handed us. Even if it's hard, even if it costs us, even if it seems small, we do not see the ripples of what we do. We do not know the effect, but I know God's heart for the lost. Just one more is exciting to God. And it's our responsibility to get a hold of that, to be faithful to that, to let God transform us, to take us through these pits and transformation, through these places where it feels like we're a slave, and to thrive because God is with us and have an influence over those around us. And so my challenge for you today is to get before God and get a hold of that and just ask God, if God is not you're everything, that that needs to be priority one. If God is not first before everything else, if God is not the ultimate, because the scripture says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your body, your everything. That everything, our love for God should be everything. The scriptures tell us that our love for God should make everything else in our life appear as hate. 
that let God consume you and, and begin that process of transformation. And if you are someone with a shovel who keeps digging holes for yourself, today is the day we put the shovel down. Today is the day we get out of that pit. Today is the day we stop going back to those things that are destroying our lives and destroying the things around us, the things that are keeping us from thriving and fully living out the life that God has called us to. And for others of us, we just need to embrace where we are and what God has for us there, that we might be asking God, when are you going to call this? When are you going to do this? When is this going to happen? And God's like, I've got you right where I want you, honey. If you just listen for five seconds, I'll show you. We need to do that. And we get those situations. I've been in those situations like, God, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm waiting for the next part of my journey. And God's like, this is the journey. This is where you are. This is where I need you to be. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't go to school for five years for this. (laughs) And God's like, this is school. You're still learning. You're still growing. And you need to just settle in and do what I've called you to do here. It may not seem big, but it's what I have for you. And we have to embrace humbly those things and let God strip away all of our ideas, all of our things we put on and make us who he wants us to be.